Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we are going to talk about the September 20th referendum on freedom. And we're going to be discussing the federal election and its implications for the church. So Aaron, as we get started, why talk about politics? I know you're a pastor. Aren't you just supposed to stick to church work? <laughs> well, I'd like to do that. I'd like to just come into my office and uh, meet with people and write sermons and uh, run discipleship groups, spend time leading and being led by my elders and maybe on occasion go for a coffee with you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that would be kind of nice. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think I probably grew up as many Christians have with the notion that the ministry of the church and engaging with culture are two very different things. And we just sort of leave politics to the politicians and we leave church work to the church people. But the fact of the matter is, is that politics, the decisions that politicians are making are invading the church. And many of the decisions and laws, and policies that politicians are discussing or passing are ideological or theological in nature. They impinge upon issues like justice, human freedom, bodily autonomy, et cetera. So we're talking about the September 20th election, the federal election here in Canada. And the results of this election have direct implications for the church, whether we will be opened or closed. I'm going to talk about why. People's employment or ability to go to work our ability to do ministry mm -hmm. unencumbered. Uh, there's issues of justice that are being uncovered in this election, uh, issues of discrimination, especially surrounding vaccine passports. And it's very important then for us to speak to these issues as Christians and as churches. It's actually irresponsible for us not to. I am very sensitive to people's concerns about the church getting involved in what historically is called partisan politics. I get that. I understand that we have a broad variety of perspectives and opinions, uh, even in our own church on some of these issues. But the reality is we're at war and the choices seem to be coming increasingly clear. There are several parties that are violating God's law and are advocating for things that are absolutely wrong and are destructive to Western civilization. And as a Christian, as a theologian, as a bit of an ethicist, I have to speak out about these issues, no matter what the cost is to my church. We're at war. I mean, if you look at the kinds of things that politicians are discussing on their at their speeches, at their rallies, there, there are things that are that have moral import. You know, they're talking about racism. They're talking about transgender sexuality. They're talking about things like should the population be required by law to refer to trans people according to their preferred gender. There's discussions about universal income. There's discussions about people not being able to go to work, to work, Chris, mm -hmm. if they're not fully vaccinated. There's discussions about censorship which obviously is going to and already has in some level affected the church, free speech, lockdowns. So 
I would just say that on a certain level, I'd like to be less political, but I have to be. If politicians want to hear from me less, they need to act justly. They need to stay in their lane and they need to stand up for truth. But one thing I won't do is I won't vote or support any candidate that either was complicit in or silent in the face of lockdowns. So, you know, many people in our church are are concerned now for their jobs. They've taken a, a beating at work because they don't want to produce a vaccine passport, whether they're vaccinated or not. And I respect that. I think that's the right thing to do. Um, but I, I face jail time. I face hundreds of thousands of dollars of fines for opening my church to minister to my people. And so I would say to my people, take this into consideration. Your pastor has taken a beating in the public realm. Your pastor has taken a, a, a potential financial beating and might do jail time to give you the freedom and the ability to worship. Why would I then go and encourage my people to vote for people that said nothing in support of our cause, some of whom were actually complicit mm-hmm. in our cause? And um, so, so th- this is not only uh, you know a philosophical, ideological kind of conversation we're having today, but it is also very personal. It affects not just Canada, but it also affects our church. So there's there's many reasons for us to uh, speak out against uh, some of the tyranny and what, what I would call totalitarianism that we're seeing in many people that are running for office. And so people need to uh, really, I think, up up their game instead of shrinking back and being silent. They need to up their game and engage more forcibly in in the political uh, realm. So what we're facing in the last couple of years we've seen is very, very different. And that might shape the answer to this next question. But what is your take on this election compared to all the others we have lived through? And I know you've lived through considerably more than me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I went back and checked. I've lived through 15 federal elections. I probably don't remember the first seven or eight of them because I was too young. I wasn't paying attention to such things. But I, I, I can think of many different elections, you know, over the course of my lifetime. And each time there are, there's usually one or two significant issues that kind of rise to the surface. Mm-hmm. And when you go on political leaders' uh, Facebook pages or you listen to them speak, they, they sort of try to throw the whole bucket of issues out to their audiences. But this, this election, I think, is the most important election ever in Canadian history. Because what it actually is, is it is a referendum fundamentally on liberty and freedom. Now, my personal liberty and freedom is not as important to me as, for example, the subject of abortion. I would put that at the top of the list in terms of the, the, the issue that we're most concerned about morally. You know, killing our babies is far more important of an issue, and we need to ask politicians for their take on that, than my liberty. But arguably, without liberty— uh, we won't even be able to fight that fight. So liberty is is not as important on a, on a moral level, one, one could argue, as the right to life, but it's more foundational for all of the other arguments and issues that we weigh in on. In order to speak out against abortion, in order to speak out against the radicalization of our children in our public schools with cultural Marxist philosophies or radical sexual education agendas or these sorts of things, requires the ability to speak, the ability to be a, a free person who enjoys liberty and can engage in the political 
process in culture. We actually have some political parties prepared to toss out elected officials from their party because they weren't vaccinated. So it's affecting the very democratic system that allows us to speak into these other issues. If people can't work, people of conscience can't work because they don't want to present a vax pass, well, that affects their ability to pay for campaigns, to donate to campaigns that want to speak into, for example, pro-life issues. So this election is fundamentally about liberty. It is a direct affront and challenge, in a sense, a referendum on our charter rights and freedoms. Our current prime minister has been very clear that this is going to be a long-term thing. You know, for about a year, we'll have the certificates or whatever he's calling them, but he wants to connect uh, vaccinations to our passports long-term. And then on top of that, in Ontario, there's digital driver's licenses they're talking about coming out with. There's all sorts of things. So um, most most Christian people, most moral people would, would be in agreement if I were to say, and I, and I would say this, that our current prime minister is very much anti-Christ in his worldview. So he is anti-life, um, the life of the unborn. He is in favor of killing people through medically assisted suicide. He seems like fixated on the LGBTQ issues. Like this is going to come up in conversation, but he seems fixated on them. Mm-hmm. He's fixated upon saving our planet, but not saving people. He is uh, seems very favorable. Uh, you know, he's he's accumulated untold billions of dollars in debt for our country. He's he's very anti-Christ, anti-liberty, anti-freedom in his uh, views. And normally in politics, you have you know the the lefties. And he's very like radically left. He he's he's way further left than um, previous generations of New Democrat, mm-hmm. you know, leaders. But then we have what we historically have called the Conservative Party under uh, Aaron O'Toole, and he he's the master fence sitter. So he's never said a word to to speak out against the lockdown mm-hmm. or the. Uh, um, uh, difficulties that uh, churches like ours have gone through, and his party is very quick. And you'll you'll hear the the conservative pundits. Oh, well, that's a provincial issue. No, it's a charter issue. And if you're a moral person, there's times when you have to step out of the, your lane, just like I have to step out of the pulpit sometimes and speak into politics. You have to step out of your lane. And you have to defend people that are being abused and misused, and whose rights are being trampled. So. O'Toole's the master fence sitter on the conversion therapy bill. He just said to his his caucus, you know, vote whoever you want on the Maidville, made medically assistance and dying bill, vote whoever you want. He's in favor of international vaccine passports and his exact language. He, quote unquote, respects the rights of of provinces to put them in place. Well, this is a green light to men like Doug Ford, who have planned on bringing them in 48 hours after the election. You can't tell me that Doug Ford's not waiting eagerly and in anticipation to see whether the broader populace is in favor of parties that are okay with vaccine passports. So this is the problem, right? We're in this pinch. You know, historically, many Christian people have probably leaned in the direction of the conservative party or Christian heritage party or whatnot. But um, these parties uh, or this party, this conservative party is 
is really by no measure, unless you're just comparing them to the radicalist Trudeau, a conservative party. Mm-hmm. So people are really in, in a pickle right now. So we have the most important issue of our lifetime. Are we going to be a free nation? Are we going to be a free people? Are we going to enjoy liberties? Do our charter rights mean anything? That's the issue. And then you're looking at the historic parties that have governed our country and you're like, uh-oh, they really are all the bad guys. They're not in favor of liberty. They're not. They're not. They're not going to uh, stick their neck out to defend the rights of our church to meet for worship. Um, so this is a, a critical time in our in our nation, and it's super important that uh, voters get educated on the issues and understand what's actually going on, so that they can have their voice heard. Because at the end of the day, w- whatever happens on September the twentieth. Uh, we have to live with the consequences, and if the consequences are bad, we're going to have to live with those not for four years. No, mm-hmm. no, no. We're going to have to live with those for generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. I think the impact is clear that uh, we're even seeing that with the decisions made about lockdowns and whatnot. It's like not just locking down for two years. It's the consequences of those lockdowns way beyond the uh, the two years. So as you look at this election, what is, and you've, I think, already hinted towards it, but what is one of the, or what is the most critical issue in this election and why? Well, I think it's idolatry. Are we going to vote for parties that think they can play God over bodily autonomy, over freedom to worship, or are we going to vote for parties that are prepared to stay in their lane and act as God's deacons, Romans 13, to, to oversee public justice. That's as simple as it is. Are, are, are we going to vote for people who want to play God? Or are we go- going to vote for parties or candidates that aren't going to play God? So throughout the course of the last 18 months, there's been various fights that have been fought. There's the mask fight. There's the the vaccination fight, or sorry, the, the mass fight and the lockdown fight, then the vaccination fight, and now the forced vaccination, the mandated vax pass fight, right? So right now, uh, vax passes, vaccine passports, are the barometer of choosing freedom or slavery, freedom or slavery. They're, they are the, the, the prominent symbol of freedom or slavery, if you vote for a candidate that's okay with, respectful toward, or encouraging vaccine passports, you are, no matter what they say, you are voting for slavery. If you are voting for parties that are like, no, we are opposed to vaccine passports, then you are voting for freedom. So fundamental to all this is a worldview. Uh, some politicians I'm not suggesting that very many politicians even understand their own worldview, but the, the the leaders of the five parties that currently have seats in the Canadian parliament all on some level see the state as divine, period. They see the state as divine, and we see that in their actions. They see the state as all-encompassing. They see the state as having authority over life and death, They see the state as having authority over people's ability to work or not work. And they see the state to different degrees as having authority over bodily autonomy. So this is very, it's very clear. Uh, We have some that are like more extreme. 
So Trudeau's liberals are much, much more extreme in this. O'Toole's conservatives are less extreme, uh, but in favor of it on a certain level and just silent and they don't seem to care about it or don't, don't want to weigh in on it on another level. But what voters need to understand is all of these parties, the Green Party, the NDP Party, the Conservative Party, the Liberal Party, the Bloc Quebecois, by their own admission, don't mind playing the role of God. Their actions are are clear in that respect. So this is a, the most critical issue of this election, to be very blunt, is are we voting for freedom and liberty or are we voting for slavery? And if we vote for freedom and liberty, this is a vote for God's creational view that we are free and autonomous beings, that there are spheres of authority with, within which we live and conduct ourselves. And, you know, I have authority over my marriage, over my children. I have a measure of authority over my church. I don't have authority over the state. The state doesn't have authority over me. It's about everybody kind of staying in their lane. So this, this I would say, is the critical issue in this election. And I, I know I'm, I'm going to upset people by saying this, but I'm prepared to do it. I'm prepared to count whatever the cost is because I will not be silent as totalitarianism takes over our country. I have uh, the ability to uh, assess and analyze history. I see where this is leading. I know where this is going. And if good people don't stand up and speak out against this stuff, it's going to be destructive not only for my life, but your life and every other Canadian currently born and those that will come um, uh, you know, those that will be born in, into the future. So really, really critical that people understand this. Fundamentally, this is a vote for liberty or enslavement and vax passports are a pretty good barometer of where a leader stands on those issues. And you have said this probably in the past, but we've seen this trend going for quite a while where we see even the idea of the idolatry of the state. This, I can think back to my teen years when gay marriage was being introduced and uh, the uh, concept of the state defining what a marriage is and taking that role yep. versus the church. And so we've seen that slowly they're taking on that role of God, defining what only God is to define. Yeah. And then I think probably a majority of con Christians could look now and say, I didn't imagine it'd get anywhere this bad where we have the transgender, the complete jettisoning of basic logic. Um, that and then was, threats and then threats to those that don't hold to these radical worldviews mm -hmm. uh, to take away charitable status, et cetera. Trudeau wants to take away charitable status from the pregnancy resource centers who are advocating for life. Like it's ridiculous. So if you don't fall into his worldview and, you know, pretty much all the other leaders are, are, are pro-choice on a, on a certain level as well, um, then, you know, he'll penalize you for it. So I, I, I know that not, not everyone thinks the same about how the decisions that are made today affect what happens tomorrow. But let me just read. I brought along a, uh, a screenshot that was posted by the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. It's pretty fascinating. It's from a fellow that um, his name is Devin Laurie, and he's, he's an expat living in Beijing, China under the, you know, the mm -hmm. People's Republic of China. Let me just read this for you because this will help people to see where the kind of stuff that's going on in culture today leads. We're already seeing it in places like Australia 
but most people would be pretty repulsed by the kind of stuff that goes on in China. So this is what he says. He says, I've been living in Beijing for the totality of the pandemic, and we've had some form of health passport. He puts that in quotes here for most of it. I understand the propensity to want to curb the spread of the virus, but I caution against giving up too much to do so. Freedom of movement here has been restricted to such a degree that I cannot leave the city, let alone the country, because of the Delta variant at this moment. And then listen to this, Chris. He says, the government can track your movement to such a degree that if a particular housing structure is deemed medium to high risk and you visit there, let alone happen to reside there, then you can still be forced, he has that all in caps, to quarantine in your apartment or a COVID hotel for two weeks without the ability to protest your red health code and will not allow you to enter any place of business or work establishment. The People's Republic of China will never relinquish this power moving going forward, and I fear that any government or social structure that implements this policy will do the same. Now, I love, I love his next statement. He says, in some sense, I'm living in your future, and I highly caution against supporting this policy, even if, at a glance, it seems to be the right thing to do in the short term. Frankly, it is myopic, meaning it's tunnel vision. Yep. Just a few words from someone living abroad. Well, this is worth consideration. Where where does this go? Do you know there's discussions uh, in in different circles of it, you know basically if the government uh, allows for vaccine passports, they're not going to be they're not going to get like thinner and weaker. They're going to get stronger and more robust. So even with O'Toole's conservative, oh, we're going to do them for international travel. Yeah, right. They're going to be expanded. They're going to become the norm. They're going to become accepted in society. And so now there's discussions among some think tanks and groups about adding um, things like uh, health passes that would monitor your carbon footprint. So you get basically points or lack, lack thereof for your carbon footprint. So you might be, for example, uh, awarded um, X number of kilometers of travel a year uh, in a vehicle. But then when you use those up, well, you know, you're you're a health risk to culture. You're a health risk to, to the climate. So, you know, you've used up your 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 carbon emissions for, for the year. Um, it's very dangerous. People that study history, okay, we are far, far too narrow-minded. We're far too narrow-minded. We're just I think so many people now, their their sole concern is like, oh, we got to get Trudeau out. We got to get Trudeau out. We got to get Trudeau out. We don't want to split the right wing vote. We don't want to split the conservative vote. You know, O'Toole's better than, than, than Trudeau. Folks, listen, any leader on any level that even winks his eye at the notion of vaccine passports nationally, domestically or remain silent on these matters is a dangerous individual, a dangerous individual might be a nice guy or nice girl, but their ideology is dangerous. And I'm, I'm, I'm issuing this, this warning to freedom fighters, to people that are patriots, to people that want liberty, to people that love their family. This is a hill to die on. This is a hill to die on. If the state, says we have control over your ability to work to work to travel they've already tried to take control over our ability to worship we know where this is going then we are contributing to to statism 
to the belief that the state is essentially divine and it will be extremely difficult for us to ever get those freedoms back. So you've been warned, heed the warning. We're going to find it on September 20th, how many people heed this warning. Um, and, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen, but th this is the warning I want to issue to people. If, if these party leaders, so if, let's say you're really hooked on one party. Okay, fine. You may be hooked on a different party than I'm hooked on, whatever. You tell your leader through, through your uh, representative, I love you guys. I've always voted for you. I will not vote for you unless you reverse your decision in the next week to week and a half. Let them know. Mm -hmm. Politicians will listen to that. But if you say, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to let them get away with it, you will live to regret it. I can guarantee you that. You can mark my words, keep this recording. You will live to regret it. So to be clear then, what are the positions of the different major parties on the Vax Passport? Just so that we all are aware. Well, we have parties like the Christian Heritage Party, which isn't running a full slate of candidates across the country, but we have Rod Taylor. He's come out, said he's opposed to vaccine passports. Bernier with the People's Party of Canada, he's opposed to vaccine passports. Trudeau's in favor of them. He wants an international one, he, and he wants to give a billion dollars to the provinces to develop provincial ones because really healthcare is a provincial matter. And uh, the conservative leader has... Um, is in favor of international vaccine passports for travel, and he, he just prepared to respect them uh, provincially. So you have uh, some parties, uh, a few parties that to different degrees are in favor of them, and you have those that are completely opposed to them. And likely the other parties would fall in along there somewhere as well. Um, yeah. So now you talked about beating Trudeau with the uh, with the conservative vote and trying to how that's probably not the wisest option and whatnot. But you're all you've also said just recently, even in a post that this federal vote is also a provincial vote, more or less. And you kind of alluded to that earlier with Doug Ford kind of waiting. Uh, can you explain that a little bit more? Well, over the past year and a half, I've spoken with different politicians and become much more aware of you know, how, how a lot of them think and how things work behind the scenes. And, and I, I, I get it. I, I get, I get the fact that different, you, you might have an MP doesn't really want to get out of his lane and speak about provincial health issues. And then you have uh, MPPs or MPs or whatever that they, you know, they, they don't want to kind of go against their party leader. So there's a, there's a, a political dimension to all this, but um, if you look at what's happening in Ontario, so we're in Ontario, and this applies in different ways in other provinces because like Quebec already has the Vax Pass. On September 20th, we're going to vote for our members of parliament and the party with the number, you know, greatest number of seats presumably is going to go to the governor general and ask to form government. And she's going to say yes. So then we'll have a minority government or we'll have a majority government and someone will function as the official opposition or you're going to have... You know, a couple parties come together and form a coalition government, potentially. So on the 20th, we're going to vote. Well, by the 21st, for sure, we're going to know the results pretty conclusively. And then what our premier in Ontario has done is on the 22nd is when the vaccine passports uh, kick in in Ontario. Well, let's keep in mind, this is the same premier that on July 15th said, no way, we're not doing vax passports. 
Six weeks later, reversed. So it's political. And mm -hmm. I, I have reason to believe that Doug Ford is waiting until two days after the election to see how Canadians have voted. Now, Doug Ford is a provincial premier and he's responsible for healthcare, but he's looking at the provincial leaders. They're all talking about this. All of them are being asked about it. All of them have an opinion on it, right? Mm -hmm. So he's waiting to see how you and me and the rest of the country is going to vote. And if we vote for any party that is warm to or favorable toward vaccine passports, i.e. losing our liberty, that's a green light to him to sign the paper, print the passports, you know, whatever the process happens to be. But if we, if we push back and, and we either say to these, to the liberal, if you're voting liberal, you're voting conservative, I will not vote for you if you don't stop this and they, and they change course in the next week or people vote CHP or PPC who are opposed to it, then I am almost certain that Doug Ford will reverse course if there's enough of a pushback to it. Mm -hmm. Now, it's hard to know. There's a lot of people that are extremely angry right now, and I think there's a pretty good chance that there's going to be an upset in the in the coming election and that they're traditional parties that think that they have, you know, um, a, a security are, are going to be quite surprised. The conservatives are probably going to lose a lot of conservative voters. The liberals are hemorrhaging. The liberal vote is collapsing right now in our country. And uh, there's going to be some surprises in this. But, you know, what, what we often see is uh, in, in elections in our country, speaking in generalities, we get a liberal government in and they go hard to the left, right? At any point in time, they go hard to the left. People get sick and tired of it. You know, an election round or two, they get voted out. The conservative party gets voted in. And the conservative party hits the break. And they kind of slow the country down. But they don't take the country to the right. So that we just sort of slow down. And we're like, oh, okay, the nuttiness isn't happening. It's just not, it's not quite as extreme. And we, we breathe this sigh of relief. And then the next election round or two, the liberals get back in. And they take the country to the left. And then after people get sick and tired of that, the conservatives get back in and they hit the break. But these countries are not prepared, these, these, these parties rather, are not prepared to take the country to the right. This is why when you listen to the conservative party leader, he sounds a lot like a liberal. In fact, the Globe and Mail, a secular paper, just came up with an article, I believe it was today or yesterday, that said O'Toole's the most liberal leader the conservatives have ever had. Mm -hmm. Well, he, of course he is. He's way more liberal than the liberals I remember from the early 90s. So- um, at some point, true conservative people need to ask themselves a question. Are, are we going to continue to give a thumbs up, to give a thumbs up, to green light, to green light, a party that just trails after the liberals? The liberals go left, they follow them. The liberals go further left, they follow them. The liberals go further left, they follow them. And then it, we also notice that the, the conservatives seem to apologize a lot for being conservative, Meaning that it's almost like people are ashamed to be conservative, but they're proud to be liberals, right? Mm. Like liberals. So it seems to me that the conservative party is always trying to be liberal enough to get the liberal vote, but they're not actually taking the country to the right. Now, some would counter and say, well, Aaron, you sound like an, a bit of an idealist. You know, you should get involved in this in the conservative party. You should try to influence it from within. 
Well, I have reason to believe that's not not possible, and I won't speak at length about that here, but um, I, I will I will offer an illustration. There is disease and infection in uh, many of these parties. There's no perfect party, but there's disease and infection in the Liberal Party, and it's ruining our country, mm-hmm. and it's affecting the church and our ability to do ministry. There's arguably less disease and less infection in the Conservative Party, but it's still there. So if I have a wound that's full of pus, I don't just scratch the surface off and leave some behind and think, well, I've got rid of 50% of the infection, but I have 50% left, so that's not so bad. No, you got to sterilize the wound. Mm-hmm. And so what, what sometimes happens is that you have to have these more right-wing parties rise up, and either they are going to take power— Uh, at this election in the future, are they going to warn the conservative party, look, we're not putting up with this. We're not going to allow you to, we're not going to allow you to say, well, you know, we don't like domestic vaccine passports, but we're okay with international vaccine passports. And by the way, if there are domestic passports, you know, that's up to the premier. No, we're not going to let you get away with that. That's fence sitting. This is, this is a, a destructive to, uh, the the people in your in your areas, so we need to understand that at the end of the day, uh, if you're if you're going to jump behind the the one of the five parties that's currently that currently has seats in the House of Commons, and if they don't change, and by the way, they could they could reverse course in the next week if there's enough pressure, but if they don't change in the next week, you as a voter. Mm-hmm. You are either voting in favor of abject totalitarianism or you are voting in favor of silence in the face of totalitarianism. And if you feel comfortable doing that, then just understand the consequences of your decision. Mm-hmm. So the question that inevitably is going to happen uh, and we're going to be asking ourselves is, okay, we want to push back. We want to inform our party. So call them, et cetera, yeah. put, apply the pressure. What happens if the pro-vax passport leaders get in or maintain power? So yeah. what happens after September 20th? Well, first of all, I hope and I suspect that some people are listening to this podcast that are very much concerned about splitting the conservative vote, splitting what historically was the freedom vote. I hope they're very much concerned about that. I hope it helps them to rethink things. Um, it's it's uh, it's going to be scary if if our leaders, if the people that are pro-vaccine passports get into power. My prediction is we're done as a nation for generations. We're done. What I mean by that, we're still going to be a nation, but we're going to be an incredibly different nation than we are today. We are going to be a nation that has gone on record as saying that we are okay with living in a soft totalitarian regime, mm-hmm. whether the leader, whether the prime minister is conservative or NDP or liberal, we're okay with living under various degrees of soft totalitarianism. So in this respect, uh, there's really not a conservative vote to split. If part of your conservative philosophy is freedom and liberty, uh, you are voting for some form of totalitarianism or you're voting against totalitarianism. I, I, I don't understand how people can't see this. It seems as, as, as clear as day. And then uh, moving out of that, 
uh, if we take the last 18 months as an example, there's just going to be added restrictions, added restrictions, added restrictions, added restrictions. And this is going to become the new norm in our country unless there's a revolution or a reformation of some sort. So I, I don't think that very many Canadians, if they knew 18 months ago that within 18 months, people would be saying, I'm sorry, but you can't work in this hospital. You can't work in this factory. You can't eat a drink of coffee in our Tim Hortons donut shop. Uh, you won't be working for us any longer. You won't be teaching in our school if you don't have proof of your health status presented to, to us. I, I don't think anybody would have tolerated that. This is the least of our concerns. I think this is just going to be added on to, added on to, added on to the whole um, notion of, you know, carbon point, carbon footprint points. There was discussion last year about uh, carbon lockdowns where if the population is okay with lockdowns, well, what, what's to say that the uh, the government's not going to come up with some brainwave? Uh, well, you know what? We're, we're in favor of, um, you know, locking down the province a couple months a year to reduce carbon emissions. Gives the atmosphere a little bit to clean up. And, you know, we'll just print more money out of Ottawa and inflate our money, et cetera. So I don't want to get into all this, but I, I, mm. I'm, it's not even a conspiracy anymore. It's, it's super obvious. In fact, I'm the least conspiratorial person you probably ever meet. I'm very careful about buying into wacky ideas. But I, I can see, because I've studied history and I've observed what politicians have been doing and how the population has been responding for the last eight months, this is going to get very, very, very bad. And if you think that your greatest fear is dying of COVID-19, you're going to be quite surprised. You have a whole lot more things to be concerned about when it comes to living in a totalitarian regime. And so we need as much as possible to get behind candidates that are pro-liberty, across the board, pro-liberty. And right now, the greatest manifestation of that is their opinion on vax passports. When I say pro-liberty, I'm not talking about people that are pro-liberty in theory. Oh, yeah, we're pro-liberty, but we're not mm -hmm. going to say anything. I'm talking about leaders that are willing to stand up, put their neck on the line, break ranks with their party and say, absolutely not. Over my dead body, will I discriminate? Will I practice you know, inequality? Will I contribute to a culture that this within which the state declares itself to have all encompassing power and authority over my ability to work or what goes into my body. It's a, it's an absolute disgrace that uh, any politician and any Christian, in fact, would be okay with any other human being as a requirement of their employment to be injected with an experimental vaccine contrary to their conscience. It's an absolute disgrace. But this is how far we've gotten. And I'm going to speak very boldly about this. I don't care what the consequences are because I know what the consequences will be if we remain silent. Mm -hmm. So we're going to we're going to continue to push into this. And um, you know, we're trusting the Lord. We trust that God will bring revival and restoration to our to our country and our nation. And if he for a period of time chooses to put us through tribulation and continue to judge us, then, um, you know, as a nation, then, uh, you know, we just need to be uh, prepared to receive that because the Lord ultimately 
you know, has our good in mind. And, and even if he's judging our nation, you know, he's doing it for our, for our ultimate good and his glory. So that's really all I have to say about that. Um, I'm hoping that people step up and uh, in the next week and a half, speak more boldly and more courageously than you ever have to political leaders. And then when uh, September the 20th comes, that you will stand behind candidates that will uphold our charter rights and freedoms provincially and federally, that you will vote for liberty, and then you will use that liberty to continue to represent the purposes of God, our creator, in the social order, you know, in educational institutions, in medicine, and in culture as a whole. Well, thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it. I think uh, all our listeners will be blessed by that clear thinking. And I just want to remind all our listeners to subscribe and like uh, and rate rather the uh, podcast, the Leadership Now podcast. Make sure you share it as well. Share this episode on social media as a means of getting the word out. As many of you know, we've partnered with our friends at the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network to reach even more listeners by putting this podcast on their app. So you can download that app at the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network website, which is flfnetwork.com. And uh, make sure to also tune in if you are listening to the radio, CJXC Radio, Canada's Constant Christian Companion. We're on at 11 a.m. Tuesdays and rebroadcast at 11 p.m. Thursdays. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks to those who have tuned in and make sure to subscribe or to um, tune in next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.